Mining is one of the most widely discussed as well as disputed topics when it comes to learning about cryptocurrency. One of the reasons why it's so widely disputed is because the amount of energy it consumes in order to sustain its function. In this episode, we're going to explore mining in greater detail, debunk the myth about the energy consumption as it relates to mining, as well as explore the infrastructure set up for producing and printing government money. You are listening to Go Full Crypto. I'm your host, Ragakshi Palway. This podcast is your best resource for crypto stories in the form of discussions and interviews. We uncomplexify tech jargon and we like to keep it simple. My co-host, Keegan Francis, and I, we're here to empower you with the knowledge you need to confidently navigate your way into the world of crypto. Join us as we embark on the journey of driving the adoption of cryptocurrency. Join us in Going Full Crypto. Episode number five, we are going to talk about mining. Yes, we are. I love mining. <laughs> I, I love mining too. I One of the questions that I love answering is debunking how mining, even though it may seem energy inefficient, what are we doing to produce uh, and print new money today? How inefficient is that process? Yeah, government money. Yeah, uh, but we can get to that later. Let's start with, uh, in, before you just defining what mining is, why is mining a thing? Yeah, the first thing that anyone really needs to know about the Bitcoin network is how many Bitcoin there are in existence and what enforces that number, what makes it so that number never changes. Mm -hmm. Because we can say that, so just to state it like it is, there's 21 million Bitcoin. And I can tell you that, like I tell you that gravity is a law of the universe. That's a number that can never be changed. And that's a really remarkable fact about the Bitcoin network. Mm -hmm. And in this episode, we are going to cover Bitcoin mining because it is the base, the fundamentals of mining itself. And um, a lot of other cryptocurrencies that have come after it, some of them use the same phenomenon, some use different phenomenons. But today we're going to cover the fundamentals uh, by covering Bitcoin mining. Yeah, that's right. So once again, there are 21 million Bitcoin. And I encourage everyone to think about what that means from a rarity perspective, right? One kind of cool aspect about that is there, there won't be any more than 21 million people that have one Bitcoin each, right? So it is a very rare asset when we consider that there is only 20, 21 million of them. Yeah, you, interested in, uh, you raised an interesting point there, Keegan, when you said that only 21 million people can have one Bitcoin each. I do want to clarify with our listeners that one Bitcoin can be divided into 100 million pieces. Right, yeah. So it's not like only 21 million people can use the Bitcoin network at once. That's not the case, right? Since we have the ability to divide one Bitcoin into 100 million pieces, it creates lots of degrees of flexibility for people to uh, transact with. Which is, an, which is another point of clarification that you don't, if you want to purchase Bitcoin right now, you don't have to go and purchase one Bitcoin because with today's value, one Bitcoin stands at... $15,800. <laughs> Canadian. And yeah. if you wanted to buy, say, uh, $50... 50 Canadian dollars worth of Bitcoin, you could do that. Yeah, it'd be would... like 0. 0.000 something, right? Yeah, exactly. So 
capped supply, only 21 million Bitcoin exist. Right, and it can be divided into 100 million pieces. So like we have a dollar that can be divided into 100 pieces, we call the smallest unit of a dollar a cent. We call the smallest unit of a Bitcoin a Satoshi. And it's named after the founder of Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto. If you want to learn more about it, you can listen to episode number three, Bitcoin Origins and Philosophy. Okay, so we've talked about the max supply. Now, Bitcoin started, when it started in 2009, the Bitcoin network, there were no Bitcoin yeah, in zero. existence. Started at zero. zero. And right now, there's around 18 million Bitcoin in circulation. 18,500,000 to be a little bit more specific, <laughs> which you. is about 85% of the supply. So most of the Bitcoin that exists in the world is in circulation today, which means that it can be traded and transacted with on the network. So we've introduced a couple of terminologies. Just for clarification, you have definitely heard of Bitcoin as it relates to the cryptocurrency itself. Yeah, as a money. But Bitcoin also has um, two more two more things that um, it stands for. So there's the Bitcoin network, and that consists of the people around the world, sometimes known as miners, who are working towards maintaining the network. And then the third thing is the Bitcoin blockchain. And blockchain is simply the soft software upon which Bitcoin sits in order to function. Awesome. Yeah, that's a nice definition. We'll dive into bit, uh, blockchain <laughs> quite a bit later. <laughs> yeah, just like mining deserves an episode to itself, blockchain does as well. So we've talked about the max supply. We've talked about how many there are in circulation. So let's really lay out the definition of mining. Right. So mining is the process in which new Bitcoin enters circulation. So if there's only 21 million and in 2009 we started at zero and today we're sitting at 18,500,000, how did we get there? And that's, we got there through the process of mining. And let's explore how exactly that works. So mining is a thing that the Bitcoin network does. It's been doing it ever since January 3rd, 2009. That's when Bitcoin got its start. That's when the network itself began and it was turned on. And since then, there has been a process and that process is mining. Every 10 minutes, the Bitcoin network releases a little bit more Bitcoin into the system, into circulation. And that number of Bitcoin that's released into the system decreases over time. So in the beginning, it was 50 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. And around every four years, that number decreases by half. So three and a bit years later, that number decreased to 25. And then 25 new Bitcoin was released into circulation. And then in 2016, that number decreased by half again into 20, uh, 12 and a half. And then in May 2020, we just saw another, these events are called happening events. We saw that happen again in May 2020, and that's where we are now. Currently, every 10 minutes, six and a quarter Bitcoin are released to the system. And six and a quarter Bitcoin in today's value is worth about 90,000, 100,000 Canadian dollars. And that is coming into circulation every 10 minutes. And so that creates this really interesting deflationary mechanism or deflationary event. So right now we have 18,500 Bitcoin in existence and 21 million Bitcoin in total. 
we actually won't produce the 21 millionth Bitcoin until the year 2140. And that's because the rate in which new Bitcoin enters circulation slows down over time. That was really well laid out, Keegan. I'm going to do a really quick recap. So there's 21 million Bitcoin in existence. There can never be more. Currently in circulation, there are 18 million and 500,000 Bitcoin. The way new Bitcoin enters the system is with the method of mining. And how that happens is in 2009, every on average every 10 minutes, 50 Bitcoin entered the system. Every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that entered the system is divided in half. So this year in May, which is May 2020, six and a half Six and a quarter. Six and a quarter. Thank you, Keegan. Bitcoin now enter the system. And this mechanism is a deflationary mechanism because it is literally programmed into the Bitcoin blockchain to work this way. That's right. Yeah, and, and that's a really fantastic point that uh, that you just made, the fact that it's programmed, is because uh, the rules of Bitcoin are dictated by math in computers, and this is in stark contrast to the way that our government money works, where the rules of the system are not dictated by math and computers. They're dictated by groups of humans. And my opinion on that matter is that humans are subject to error. They're subject to make mistakes. And Bitcoin isn't. Bitcoin does not make mistakes with respect to the supply. So Bitcoin can't decide to increase the, the amount of Bitcoin in circulation overnight. And no human can do that either. Whereas with our government money supply, we, we can do that and we have seen that done. Mm -hmm. And we saw that being done, especially this year due to COVID-19, where the money supply of a government's um, currency went up dramatically. And that is known as inflation. So let's talk a little bit more about how when some people are in charge of the total money supply of any nation, how does that affect the purchasing power of that country? Right. Well, the, the purchasing power goes down. And essentially what, what that means is where one day I could buy four loaves of bread with $10, the next day I could buy two loaves of bread with that same $10. And there's some haircut quote, I think. Yeah, I know. I love that. How's that go? It's like, it's like inflation is when you pay $15 for the $10 haircut you use to get $5 when you had hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's It's a funny quote. <laughs> it just talks about how your money is worth more or it can is worth purchasing more things when you are younger and as uh, you grow older the money that you had when you were younger is now worth less because now you can buy less things with it and that's essentially because there's more money in existence there's more money out there the supply goes up the demand is either the same or maybe it goes up but not as aggressively or as quickly as the supply does and I th the, the thing that I want to talk about with respect to inflation is who gets the power to do inflation, to increase the money supply. And in America, that's the Federal Reserve. They kind of have this special power where they can edit the, their balance of the bank account. I want you to just imagine if that was possible for you to log into your bank account and edit the amount of money in your bank account. That's the power of the Federal Reserve. It's a group of individuals that get to sit there and decide whether or not to destroy the purchasing power 
of every other American dollar in existence or in circulation. That's kind of a scary power. And that's one of the reasons why I'm invested in Bitcoin. That's one of the reasons I love Bitcoin. I buy Bitcoin because no person has the ability to edit that 21 million number. And I have faith in that. I have faith in ma the mathematics and cryptography and the computers that enforce that number way more than I have faith in any human to not increase the money supply of the, the government currency that I use. Mm -hmm. As opposed to the inflationary supply of government money and uh, the deflationary supply of Bitcoin, Keegan, you wrote a really, really interesting article about a month ago where the stimulus checks that some people were receiving, they were putting it straight into purchasing Bitcoin potentially. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's funny. There's a Twitter account that every so often they'll tweet out how much your stimulus check would be worth. So I think the stimulus checks went out on uh, like April 24th or March 24th. It's eluding me at the moment, but it doesn't matter. Uh, if you had a bought Bitcoin the day you got your stimulus check, uh, it's worth more now. And it's just showing you, okay, that's what $1,200 worth of American dollars worth of bought would have bought you in Bitcoin on that date. And now it's worth $2,000 now. And that shows you that Bitcoin is rising against the U.S. dollar. People are discarding their U.S. dollars in favor of this unique digital currency, this deflationary digital currency called Bitcoin. So I have a point to raise. Two episodes ago, in episode three, we talked about how there are people around the world speculating on the value of Bitcoin. And that, as opposed to, say, the Federal Reserve in the States, telling the people that your dollar is worth this much. How does that compare? Why, why do you think people have more faith in the speculation provided, um, providing the value to Bitcoin as opposed to believing in the government money where the Federal Reserve is saying, well, th this is a dollar, this is your dollar? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you asked that question. So I, I actually kind of answered this just a moment ago with respect to why I'm invested in Bitcoin personally. For me, a lot of the value comes from no one being able to edit that 21 million number. I can really rely on Bitcoin being scarce far into the future. Even if the value that is derived uh, is speculative? Even if it's speculative, yeah. So millions of people all over the world are trying to decide on what the value of Bitcoin is. And that's what you that's why you see such a large fluctuation in price on a day to day basis with respect to Bitcoin. And one of the jobs of the Federal Reserve is to alter that money supply so that so that the US dollar is equal to one US dollar. And you can go to a store and buy relatively the same amount of things that you could buy yesterday. That's one of the jobs that they do. But Bitcoin has no committee. They have no CEO of Bitcoin that uh, that adjusts that money supply dynamically to try and fix that price to something. And so you get this really volatile asset. But we still get that 21 million number that's concretely engraved in the code, in the protocol itself. And I see value in that. Uh, I want to invest in something that humans can't tamper with. That seems like a very useful thing to have around, especially in as it's applied to money. Okay, so talking about things that humans can tamper with and going back to the supply of um, legislative the US dollar for now, let's debunk the myth of how much money 
time and effort is put into producing that same US dollar as opposed to the amount of electricity that is used in maintaining the Bitcoin network via mining. Yeah, it's a huge critique. Almost without fail, one of the questions that we get at each one of our presentations is, uh, oh, how would you explain the massive amount of electricity that Bitcoin uses to run its network? And it's unavoidable. It uses a lot of electricity. It just does. Uh, I think the, the rough statistic is that Bitcoin uses more electricity uh, in a year than the country of Ireland. And that's crazy. That's a staggering amount of electricity. And I think this is the correct way of contextualizing how much electricity that Bitcoin uses. It's a global currency. It actually has the potential to be a money that is used by any number of people all over the planet. Whereas the US dollar, even though it's a reserve currency, it's it's still a country's currency. It doesn't belong to each and every human on the planet. In a sense, it really belongs to the US government. And so the thought that we like to put in people's head is how much energy does it take to maintain the US dollar and the Chinese yen and the Canadian dollar, the euro, the British pound, these are all their separate currencies and each one of them needs to be maintained. There's an amount of electricity that goes into harvesting the cotton and processing it and making it into bills and printing ink onto it. And then did you know that a $1 bill, an American $1 bill, uh, has an average lifespan of just 18 months? So every 18 months, the dollar bills have to be taken out of circulation and uh, reprinted. Yeah. yeah. So it's <laughs> whereas Bitcoin is infinitely recyclable. Right. So even though we have to spend this amount of electricity to maintain the network, we get to reuse every single Satoshi on the network as many times as we want. We never have to replace it. And it's traceable. And it's traceable <laughs> and it's global. Right. Yeah. It serves the interests of every person using it. Where at the end of the day, what does the U.S. dollar serve? It serves the interests of the U.S. government. And that just goes to reinforce that Bitcoin is a people's currency because it is a global currency. And even if it does consume the amount of electricity that Ireland consumes in a year, it is because it serves the entire world as opposed to each country and as much money they spend in order to produce, reproduce, maintain their own government money. Yeah, just the fact that uh, one country has like the U.S. dollar, so the world reserve currency. Yet, it's the U.S. government that has the discretion on how that money is is manipulated or altered in some way, shape, or form. And then other countries who may be using the U.S. dollar as a reserve or as a business currency, they are subject to what the U.S. government decides to do with it. Whereas Bitcoin, it's it's more, more of an amalgamation of what the people of the world decide to do with it. And if governments decide to adopt that one day, they'll be subject to how, what the people decide for that currency and, and not what one world government does decide for it. Yeah, you, you raise a really good point there. The US dollar is one of the world reserve currencies. But what does that really mean if it, the world currency is subject to a country, mm -hmm. um, like one of the seven other world reserve currencies, I think there are. 
Yeah, the the world reserve currencies is uh, the euro, the U.S. dollar. The, yeah, Japanese yen. Yeah, the Chinese yen, uh, the British pound. There's a couple others, but mm-hmm. uh, the predominant one is the U.S. dollar, and it's been losing its world reserve status for some time now. And China has been uh, gaining ground with their currency and. Maybe that's a discussion topic for another podcast is what exactly is a world currency? What's its function? Yeah, really good food for thought. And actually an open question to our listeners, wherever you are and whatever you do, when you think of the term world reserve currency, what do you think it means and how do you think it impacts you? If you have any thoughts, comments, or opinions to this question, you can email it to us at ready at GoFullCrypto, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay, let's wrap this episode up with some comparisons between Bitcoin's money supply as opposed to government money supply. We talked about mining and how its supply is capped at $21 million and as opposed to government money. Which is completely uncapped and regulated by humans who are subject to greed and mistakes and errors and all of those lovely terms. Also intellect and, you know, sometimes... (laughs) Good intentions. Yes, yeah, I just, I don't want to portray humans as these creatures that have no intellect and just no way to make good decisions. Although, you know, sometimes you might feel like we're really hopeless. Anyway, <laughs> that's a philosophical subject. Going back to um, going back to Bitcoin, humans are not ones that decide uh, whether or not Bitcoin can be changed. It's the program. It's because it is programmed into the Bitcoin code, uh, the amount of Bitcoin there is, and the way that new Bitcoin is introduced into the system. It is a deflationary currency which means less and less Bitcoin is entering the Bitcoin network every four years. To really put the two side by side and do a comparison, Bitcoin has a capped supply, it is deflationary, and it is a programmable money, or a programmed money in this case. But government money has an uncapped supply, is inflationary because it is determined by humans. The amount of money in circulation is determined by humans. Keegan, do you have any parting thoughts for this episode? Yeah, definitely. I think we stressed a lot on that 21 million number. And what I want people to walk away from this episode with is the fact that this is a phenomenon that has never existed on this planet before. Uh, Bitcoin the, and the ability to force a money supply and not have the, that be changed is really quite remarkable. That is something very unique that we've never been able to achieve before anywhere on the world, in the world, uh, throughout history, throughout time. And that's that's worth thinking about. That's worth understanding completely. And for me, it's, it's worth trusting. That's that's eventually where I want to get our listeners to is uh, is trusting the code over trusting uh, the people that are running the monetary system. Cool. Well, Keegan, I know that you're very active on Twitter. Do you want to share with our listeners how they can find and follow you? on you sharing your thoughts and opinions online? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So on Twitter, my handle is at CryptoKeegan, and I post... Is that with a C or K? (laughs) Right, uh, (laughs) that's C-R-Y-P-T-O-K-E-E-G-A-N. 
yeah, and I'm I'm posting and reposting people's articles and opinions, thoughts. Uh, some are my own. Some are people that I follow and respect in the cryptocurrency world. Uh, much of which is uh, you'll hear my opinions stated on this podcast and also yeah online. All right. So to our listeners, you can also find me on Twitter, but I'm not very active. I am very active on Instagram, so you can find me at Mrugakshi Palway, which is M R U G A K S H E E P A L W E. And we have GoFull Crypto on various social media channels as well. However, what's most important right now is your questions to us. We really want to hear what your thoughts are because we can go yapping about cryptocurrency all day long, but it really matters to us that we communicate information that is important for you to understand. So if you have topics that you want us to cover, or if you have any questions about something that we have covered in the past five episodes, please shoot them our, our way on either of our social media handles or just email them to us at ready at gofullcrypto.com. And one last thing, everyone, if you like the content that we're bringing to you, please share it with people that you love or, or don't love, uh, but people that you think would benefit from learning about this kind of content. And um, if you are on iTunes, we would love if you could rate us so more people can find out about us and get all of this awesome, valuable content. Stay tuned for the next one's going to be a spicy one.